Revelation for us, and here's the text for today. It's uh, Revelation 1, uh, 9 through 20. Go ahead, Drew. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would bless us as we read and as we hear. We ask that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit and illuminate our hearts and minds that we might apply that which we hear from your word. We praise you for your goodness, your faithfulness, and how your word reveals who you are, especially here in this book of Revelation. It's in your name that we bring these praise, these prayers to you. And all God's people said, amen. So before we jump into uh, 9 through 20, I have to finish uh, last week's sermon 1 through 8. And so if you were here and you got your notes still and you want to finish those out because you're like me and you're OCD and you can't sleep at night until you have all those blanks filled, I'm going to give you those and then we're going to jump into the text for today too. But uh, what we did cover last week was uh, firstly the gravity of this book in 1 through 8 is the revelation of Christ, right? And we talked about how revelation is this pulling back of the veil and that's actually what we're seeing in the text is who Christ is in his heavenly domain and in his rulership outside of just his earthly form that he took on when he was here the first time. The second thing we talked about uh, was the guard in this book is the gospel. Uh, we see all throughout it that those who are subject to, those who are saved by the gospel, will have peace and hope, and those who are not sealed by the gospel will have, unfortunately, a very fearful future to look forward to indeed. And so we see the guard in the book is the gospel of Christ. And so lastly, I want to talk about the glory through this book. And so in Revelation 1, 7 through 8, uh, it says this. I think I have the text up there. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. 
And so the glory through this book, then, is the supremacy of Christ. Christ is supreme over all. If you didn't know that this morning, I hope you know that now. Uh, he is the Alpha. He is the Omega. Uh, he is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. He is the Almighty. He is, you know, so we have this idea of the Trinity, which the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the idea of the Trinity is, and this is one of those ways that it says so clearly that the Son of God is equal with the Father as far as glory and power and might, but yet humbled himself to come to earth and did not see equality with God as something to be grasped. And yet here, as the, as the veil is torn back, we see the Lamb for who he is in all of his glory. One God, three persons. And so the glory of this book is the supremacy of Christ. And the next section that we're going to get into right now, then, only solidifies that, I hope, for you. So as we look at 9 through 20 this morning, I want to ask you, how are you going to fare when persecution hits. Now, if you're anything like me, you talk a good game, right? And you probably would answer like, well, when persecution hits, I'm just going to beat my chest like King Kong and handle it like a man or a woman, right? Or however that would be. And of course, that's what we want to say. That's what we want to think. But we know that there's been faithful brothers and sisters through history. Now, you'll have to Google this. I don't exactly remember who it was, but there was a faithful witness for Jesus Christ who uh, signed a confession. Uh, uh, he, was, he was persecuted by, uh, by, by the Catholic Church during, during a, a certain time period of history, and he signed this confession. And so he was held in prison, and he was going to be burned alive. And uh, they still were going to burn him alive, even though he signed the confession against uh, what his doctrinal state was. And so at the time of being burned, he said, let my hand be burned first. And he thrust his hand out to be burned first by the fire before the rest of him was consumed. That's how we all think we're going to go. Hebrews 11, 37 and 38 says, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheeps and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. It says, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens of caves of the earth. And so persecution has happened before. Persecution will happen to us. There's men and women in Scripture who have went through persecution in ways that we read about. And so the question is, will you be able to say, like Paul says, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair? Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And what about, friend, what about when it gets very personal? What about in scriptures like Mark 13, 12 through 13, when it says, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child? And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And it says, and you will be hated for my namesake. What about that? I think that we're spoiled. I know I'm spoiled. It was a real bummer yesterday when I lost electricity. I, believe it or not, we were out of power, and yet every room I walked in you know the first thing I did when I walked in that room? I turned the light switch on. You know what happened? Not a doggone thing, because we were out of power. But I was so used to it. 
that it never even struck me as odd to walk into a dark room and to flip the light switch on. I never gave it a second thought until the lights didn't come on, and then I was brought back to reality. You see, we're spoiled. I don't know about you. I haven't really, I can't really say that I've received any serious persecution for my faith. I may have had friends who didn't want to hang out with me anymore because I, I didn't drink like I used to. Or I may have had certain things that I wouldn't go do. But, but, can, I, but can, I, can we say that we've really hit this kind of level of, of any kind of real persecution that, that makes me decide if I'm going to keep my job or not keep my job, if I'm going to continue on with my family members or not continue on, if I have to live in secret and worship and read in secret because of the fear that the government may knock in these doors and drag us all off, none of us here, not a single one of us, whether in this room or watching online. And so the question is, how are we going to persevere when that kind of stuff happens, when the rubber meets the road? Well, I didn't finish that scripture in Mark 13, 12 through 13. Do you know what it says at the end? It says, 12 through 13, I want to read the whole thing. And brother will deliver brother over to death, father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So how are we going to do that? Well, that brings me to the point for today's whole message, which is this. I think we need to look to the power of the risen Christ to persevere. Because I know it's not in me. And if you're wise, you would know it's not in you. So before we jump into today's text and, and pull out this truth, let's pray one more time if we can. God, our Father in heaven, we praise your holy name. We confess our fear before you. We thank you for telling us in advance what's going to happen and for giving us your helper in the form of the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. We ask that you would not only be with us today when it's easy, but be with us in the future when it's not. And we rely on your name and in your power and in your strength. And all God's people said a hearty amen. Wow. So in Revelation 1, 9 through 20, uh, the first point that I want to bring up to you is Christ's plan involves tribulation. I don't know if you knew that or not. Welcome to Christianity. Okay. If you thought that becoming a Christian or if, or if you think currently that becoming a Christian is just going to make everything good, Right. Somebody sold you a pair of rose-colored glasses, and I'm, I'm sorry for that. Now, following Christ will improve your life absolutely from the day that you start following him. Absolutely. But does becoming a Christian mean that we'll no longer be sick or we'll no longer suffer or that we'll no longer experience hardships or that you know, family relationships will be mended immediately? No, that's, that's not the promise of the gospel. We need to understand that Christ's plan involves tribulation. Uh, I, I'll prove that to you by the text I hope this morning at Revelation 1, 9 through 11. In 9, he says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and in the patient endurance that are in Jesus. You see it right there. He's our brother, and yet he's our partner in tribulation. And so what we experience as Christians is something, uh, this is a very fancy term. I'm sure there's a 50 cent term for it that they taught me in seminary. I forgot that. But what I call it is the already and the not yet, right? We are already in the kingdom 
and yet we have not yet experienced the fullness of the kingdom. How do I know that? I hurt when I wake up in the morning. Do you? Okay? And, and the older I get, the more I hurt when I wake up in the morning. That's how I know. Not yet, because I don't have my new body yet. If I did, it wouldn't hurt when I woke up. Okay? And so I also know it's the already and the not yet because I'm a lot more patient than I was when I was younger. And as God's gotten me through my sanctification process, he's done some of that. But there's people in the congregation this morning that can attest that my patience is not perfect. Sometimes, believe it or not, I actually lose my temper or lose my cool, right? I know none of you can relate to that, but he says, I, John, your brother, your partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that is in Jesus Christ. He says already that that is what's keeping him patient. He was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Why was he there? He was being persecuted. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard, behold me, a loud voice like a trumpet. So what does this mean in the spirit on the Lord's day? Well, there's lots of different ways that we can take this. The way that I think is being happened here is it's the Holy Spirit that is drawing him into a special revelation. What's the Lord's day? Well, we're on the Lord's day right now, Sunday, the first day of the week. It has become the tradition of Christians throughout because of when Christ was resurrected that they began worshiping. There's lots of historical evidence that I don't want to bore you with, but that's the Lord's day. This is the day. And he was saying, this loud voice with a trumpet, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, like Drew read. And so what we need to understand is Christ's plan involves tribulation, and it involves, unfortunately, individual tribulation. You see, I have never been to the island of Patmos. I don't think I will ever get shipped to the island of Patmos. That was for the other John. Now, may I get arrested someday and put into Allegan County Jail for preaching the gospel? Maybe. But they will not ship me to Patmos. And by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, John was never in Allegan County Jail. There's no evidence of that. And so what we need to understand is that God has an individual sanctification plan for every single one of us. One of the great things that I love about my wife doing homeschool for our children is she can have, to some degree, an individual education plan, okay? Which is great because you know, like I know, every single kid learns a little bit differently. Maybe that was your struggle in school. Maybe you were a very tactile learner like I was, and so you couldn't keep your butt in the seat, and they thought you had ADD, but really, you just needed to learn by touching everything, right? And maybe that was your learning style. Well, just like that, God has an individual tribulation plan, believe it or not, to help sanctify us and to help us learn what it means to be Christ for each of us. So we need to understand that this is normative to the Christian experience, individual tribulation. Matthew 10, 16 says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Let me ask you, what's changed since then? Nothing, except for, you know, I don't know, internet and pizza delivery, right? I mean, let's be honest. It's the same kind of world with the same kind of people. Matthew 10, 34 through 36, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. If I've 
I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. You see, there is going to be individual tribulation that we are all going to experience and maybe you are experiencing some of that right now. And if that's not enough, but wait, there's more. There's also corporate tribulation. You see, there will be a day where Allegan Bible Church is on a list. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, and I'm pro- I may get this wrong. You can Google this too. Uh, it's either Cambridge or like Yale or something over there across the pond, one of those Ivy League schools, Edinburgh or something like that. One of them, there was a, a class of, of individuals that went around and visited all the churches within a 20-minute area from their university, and they put them on a list. And the list was a rated list from, I don't know, 1 to 10 or 1 to 5 or, or whatever the list was. But the point of the list was to rate them in how welcoming they were. Do you know what I mean when I say welcoming? What I mean by that is if they were preaching the Bible unashamedly, they were probably not very welcoming. But if they skewed scripture to make everybody feel comfortable and not need to repent of any sin in their lives, and you're okay, I'm okay, we're okay, let's wave our flags, right? If that's the kind of thing that they're preaching, then they were a very welcoming church. And they published this list. It's already happening. And so there will be corporate tribulation. If you don't believe that, we can also still look at the text. Look at your copy. If you brought a copy of God's word, Revelation 1.11, it says, write what you see to whom? Who's he writing what he sees to? To the seven churches. And then he names them. These are real. So, okay. Commentators will say, hey, these these are church ages, or these are kind of throughout church history. That may be the case, and we're going to get there as we, as we go through the book of Revelation, and as we apply these letters to these seven churches, we'll cover all that. That's fine. But you know what else these churches are? These are real churches, like physical locations. In fact, if you were a Roman uh, postman, courier, whatever they called it then, this would be your route. It was, it, was, it was a route that would take you around these churches and then back out to sea to go wherever else you're going to the rest of the thing. This was, this was a mail loop. I don't know if you knew that. This is a mail loop that, that John's talking about. These are real churches. And 1 Corinthians tells us about this in 12, 26 through 27. It says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So it's unfortunate. But you need to understand that Christ's plan involves tribulation, both for us as individuals and for us corporately. But Christ's person is awesome. And I don't mean Ninja Turtle, Cowabunga, Radical Dude kind of awesome. What I mean is awesome. What I mean is, like John, when you see who he is, you fall on your face as if a dead man. What I mean is you could spend all the rest of today thinking about how awesome God is 
And the only thing that you would exhaust would be your own energy at the end of the night so you could go to bed. Christ's person is awesome. For those of you who want more study on the book of Revelation, I would encourage you to read Daniel chapter 7. It's going to come up quite a bit, and it's especially going to come up with what we're about to talk about with Christ's person right here. Revelation 1.12 says, Then he turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And then it says the description. I'm going to go past that. His description first is his presence. Revelation 1.13 says, And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And then he says, The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flaming fire. And then it says, his, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. And then it says that in his right hand, he held seven stars from his mouth, and it came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And that's the description, then, that John tries to use to tell us about our God's presence, our Christ's presence. And so I just want to highlight some things here for you. Firstly, he's in the appearance of the Son of Man, which means, in one regard, he looks just like you and me. Just an, your average guy. He looks like the Son of Man. I mean, I'm the Son of a Man. My sons are Son of a Man. Sometimes I call him a Son of a Gun, right? <laughs> But they're son of man. They look in the form of humanity. And yet, there is something completely holy, completely other, completely awesome about the presence of Christ. He starts with his clothes. Now, he says, this is a white robe with a gold sash. This is speaking to his office of high priest. It talks about his garments, how they're completely clean, no spot of filth or sin. One commentator wrote this. He said, Once long ago, men stripped him of his garments and gambled for his clothes and hung him naked on a tree. And now, when we see him again, he's completely clothed. From, from his neck all the way down, because this would be a long priestly robe. It shows us several things. One, his level of holiness and his righteousness and his sinlessness, but also, if you think about it, it shows that we can never see Christ as fully as he truly is. There always, because of his level of holiness, there has to be a barrier even between us in our perfected state. He is far beyond anything. Of course, I get that from Genesis where it talks about the man and the woman were in the garden and they were naked and they were not ashamed. There was complete transparency originally for them. And yet between us and God, there has to be a level. Next, he talks about the hair of his head, white like wool, like snow. On a day like today, we can completely imagine that, can't we? This is a great illustration for today. 
I, I, I love the snow in its beauty uh, at first, and then early in the morning on a, have you, uh, surely, if you've lived in Michigan for any length of time, we've all experienced this, where it seems like you're driving on the surface of the sun, right? Because the clouds part every once in a while here in Michigan, where it's usually cloudy for where we live, the clouds part after freshly fallen snow, and you're out there, and you have to drive with, you know, three pairs of sunglasses on just so you can keep us on the road. It's, it's immaculately gleaming out there. And so it talks about his, the hair of his head is white like wool, like snow, we need to understand that this is the idea of profound wisdom. Scripture tells us, 1 Corinthians, right? I want you to understand. Now, let, let me go back to that. I want to go to Proverbs 16, 31 first. Gray hair is a crown of glory and is gained in a righteous life. So what does it mean if his head is completely and utterly white? It means that he is full of glory and he has lived a most righteous life. The next thing I want for you to understand here is this idea of wisdom, this eternal strength and wisdom and knowledge and ability and power. Now I want to take you to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every wife is her husband. Here it is. And the head of Christ is God. And so the reason his hair is white is because he is no mere mortal man. He is fully God and fully man. He has all the wisdom, all the knowledge of the Father. That would turn your hair white too, let me tell you. And then he goes on to talk about his eyes. His eyes are a penetrating fire. This is the idea of omniscience. He knows all things. Now, in a negative example, if you've ever watched the Lord of the Rings series, you know, the, the wicked eye on top of the tower that just scans the horizon for wherever it is. And, and when it falls on you, that's bad news, right? Well, it is a similar kind of idea here. These eyes of fire and their penetrating wisdom, having truth, understanding gaze. John 1, 48. We see a glimpse of this. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Or how about this, Matthew 12, 25. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. You see, not only does he see you physically, he sees your heart. He sees your soul. He sees your mind. He sees every single aspect of you. Warts and all, we can say. Then he goes on to talk about his feet. This talks about his permanence, his strength, his immovability, his resolute character and nature. Like burnished bronze. Talks about his voice, a roar of many waters. I've been to Niagara Falls one time in my life. My parents took me there. Can you imagine arguing with Niagara Falls as the thousands, millions of gallons of water are falling over the edge? 
you have to yell to communicate with one another because of the gravity of the sound of just mere waters. Have you ever heard thunder so loud that it actually made you jump? Like, you're, you're not afraid of storms or anything, but the thunder clap was so loud that, it, that it, it literally made you have a physical reaction to it? Now imagine, if you can, for a moment, standing before a being whose voice, every time it utters a syllable, is magnified thousandfold. He goes on and he talks about his hands. In his right hand, he says he held these seven stars. His mouth came this two-edged sword. In his hands, he holds the stars. He is protective and he is possessive. In his mouth comes a sword. Every word he ever spoke was perfect. Every word he ever will speak is perfect. In Hebrews, it talks about this sword too. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of soul and a spirit of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then also, if you remember, it talks about the word in Ephesians 6, 17, when it says to take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And he ends with Jesus' face. His appearance is praiseworthy. Hebrews 1.3 tells us he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Matthew 17.2 tells us that he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Have you ever tried to stare directly at the sun? Did you know that's a bad idea? Uh, do you know that if you do that for long enough, it'll, it'll actually burn a hole in your, in your, your retina at, at the back of your, your eyeball? Also, did you know that uh, people tend to do that when there's an eclipse, and so they make special glasses for those of us who actually forget that it's a burning ball of light in the sky that we're looking directly at? Just because it's 90% covered up doesn't mean the other 10% isn't really bright, right? And so John is seeing this figure before him. This is why Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. When he was here the first time, Jesus didn't look like this. When he was here the first time, he looked like an average Joe. But when he comes back, beloved, he will not look like that. So I want to end this section with a couple of points to move us to the last point. In John's view of Jesus, we see his presence, which is awesome. But we also see his position and his possession. And these are going to bleed into the next point. So I want to cover them quickly so that we can get to the final point for today. If you remember, his position 
in the text in verse 13 was he was in the midst of the lampstands, right? So in the middle of these lampstands. Whether he was like, whether it's rows and he's just walking through the rows, whether it's a circle of lampstands and he's in the middle of the circle, commentators or, or however you view it in your mind's eye, that's fine. That's not the point. The point is he's in the midst of the lampstands. That's his position, all right? Secondly, his possession. Do you remember what it says in verse 16? He holds in his hands these seven stars. Now, that's important for what we're about to talk about. So remember that John writes this letter to the seven churches in Asia. These churches were currently in the midst or about to enter into persecution of which we currently do not know anything about. John is telling them and to us that Christ's plan involves tribulation, but Christ's person is awesome, and so therefore Christ's provision is absolute. And that should bring you great joy this morning. And if there was more people here, you would have heard an audible amen, I'm sure. Revelation 1, 17 through 20 tells us this as we read the text. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. So write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So when John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, by the way, that's the right response. And by the way, that's the only response that we ought to have. But understand in the text, what it says is it says that he laid his right hand on him and said, fear not for I am the first and the last. And so what we need to see about Jesus's provision, his provision that is absolute is firstly, he is gentle. In scripture, the right hand is a hand of power. In this scripture, the right hand is the hand that held the seven stars. That same right hand is the hand that Jesus uses. The same hand that Jesus uses to hold the stars is the same hand he offers to us for comfort and security and provision, protection, for peace. He said when he was here the first time in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I used to struggle with that. I'm like, he has called us to do hard things. He has called me to deny myself daily, to pick up my cross, my instrument of death, to drag it to Golgotha, to take old John and affix him to the cross and raise it so that old John can die and new John in Christ can now walk. I don't know about you. That's hard for me. 
And then I'm confronted with a text like this that says, come to me, you who are labor and who are heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. Learn from me. My yoke is easy. And I think, how can that be? And then I thank him for texts like in Revelation where he says, look, man, I've got a face like the shining sun. I've got feet made of bronze. I've got a voice like thunderous Niagara Falls and then some. And I can hold the stars in my hand. And with that same hand, I call out to you and I say, in me, walk. He is gentle. He is the good shepherd. He is the one who leaves the 99 for the one. And like a good shepherd, then, we also see that not only is he gentle, he is guiding us. He tells John, write, therefore, the things that you've seen, those that are and those that are about to take place. He wants us to know. He wrote us this book so we would know. He came to us the first time in human form to take on flesh so that we could have a relationship, so that he could pay for sin, so that he could be resurrected, so that we might walk in freedom. And he said, it's better for you if I go, because then I can give you the Holy Spirit. And in John, by the way, in case you forgot where that was written, in the Gospel of John, John records, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'm going to send him to you. And what's this helper going to do? He's going to reveal all truth to you. You see, our God is not a God of deep mystery in what he wants from us and what he wants for us. He gave us his Bible. He gave us everything that we need to know who he is and how to serve him and how to get to where he is and how he feels about us. He gave us everything we need to know about that. Is there stuff you want to know that he didn't tell you? Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Who do you think you are? He gave you everything you need. He gave you all of his word and he gave you his own son who bled and died and was raised to give you victory so you could be with him. And you want to know stuff he didn't tell you? Too bad. He is gentle and he guides. He said he was in the spirit on the Lord's day in verse 10. This spirit that John wrote about in his gospel is the Holy Spirit that Jesus said that he would give that all of us can enjoy having the presence of and the illumination of. I, I, I say this from time to time, and so I, it's, now it's, it's recorded if it wasn't before, but you all don't need me to study Scripture deeply. This is a weird job. Do you understand that? It's a weird job. I get the benefit, I get the blessing of studying God's Word all week. I can't give you half of what I want to preach on, and I'm still nine minutes over. Do you even believe that? But he gives us the Spirit. If you're in Christ, you have the Spirit. You ought to be... Re re listen, if you're not reading Revelation throughout the week like I am, then you're missing out, because I can't give you half of what I want to give you. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will make what is mine and declare it to you. That's what John says in the Gospel, and that's what John is doing now in Revelation. He says, the mystery of these seven stars are the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the churches, and the lampstands are the seven churches. 
And so to end, I want to show you not only is he gentle, not only is he guiding, but you need to understand he is guarding. And so yes, tribulation is coming for you individually and for us corporately. But Christ is awesome. And so therefore we can look to him for perfect preservation because he's gentle, he's guiding, and he's guarding. What do I mean by he's guarding? Man, I'm glad you asked. What I mean by that is this. He says, I hold these seven churches in my hand and I walk in their midst. How much closer do you want him to be? Jesus is in their midst. He hasn't forsaken them. He hasn't forsaken you. He is, listen, wherever two or more gather together, there I am, right? Doesn't it not say that? He said he would send the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. How much closer do you think Jesus needs to be to you? Not only is he in our midst, he holds you in his hand. He has said that none that the Father gives him can be lost. Why? Because he's all-powerful. You know what's fun? I, I saw this. This, this was a meme, right? It, it's, it's about, you, if, if you've ever been around babies for any length of time, you, you'll probably enjoy this too. Uh, it talks about th these little babies. There is nothing quicker on the face of the globe than like a toddler who's trying to get something off the table before you can pull it from them, right? And also, it seems like there's nothing stronger in this universe than a toddler that has its sweaty little palm gripped around something that they're about to put in their mouth that you are desperately trying to get out of that before you know that they're going to choke on this thing. And you're like, why, is you, why are you so strong, toddler? Well, that's nothing compared to our God. Our God holds you in his right hand, his hand of power. This God who holds stars in his hand holds you in his hand. And so I, I, I hope, I hope that as we get ready to enter into a season, now I'm not a prophet that I know of, not the son of a prophet, but as Daniel was seeing the writing on the wall and interpreting that, as we look at our nation, as we look at the news, as we look at all those things around us, as we are preparing to enter into a season of persecution, of tribulation, of disorder, of chaos, of having to stand for something, and I hope that thing you're standing for is the gospel of Christ. As we enter into that season, I pray that you will find great blessing and great hope and great power in the fact that we can look to the power of the risen Christ to preserve. And this is only the beginning of what he's going to tell us in Revelation. Let's pray. God, our Father, we praise you for giving us your Son, for purchasing us by his sacrifice and in his blood, assuring us of your salvation. We thank you for all that you have given to him that will never be lost, including all of us who are his. And so we, like those who are gathered around the throne, we say all glory and power and dominion and authority and praise be to our great God and our King and to the Lamb. And in your name we pray, amen. Let's sing.